standout verses in the book of Proverbs is this, for me it is anyway, is without vision the people perish. And I just think it's so important for us in our lives that we have vision. What is it that we're reaching for? What is it that we're attaining for? We're just delighted, are we not, that our government are back to work. Isn't that great? Unless, oh yeah, three of us. Isn't it important that we're just praying for them and saying, God, give them vision. Give them vision. Give them integrity. Give them the authority. Help them make key decisions and whatever it might be. And we as a church, it's important that we as leaders, we have vision. And a number of us leaders have been meeting since August um, from time to time, just casting vision and, or beginning to seek actually the face of the Lord and saying, what is it that you have for us and our church in this place, in this moment, in this time, in this era, and in this town? What is it that you have for us? And what we're reaching for as a church community over the, no, over the next number of years, first of all, is we want to really impact our community. That hasn't changed since day one. Day one, when I met a number of the ministers of this town and explained myself as to why we were setting up camp, and I said, we're not here because we want to, you know, just draw the cream of the best people from other churches. That is not what we're about. We are about joining you in the great mission and fulfilling the great commission to actually reach and engage with the last, the least, and the lost. Those that don't yet know Jesus, those who are far from him, and we really greatly want to impact our community. We're thrilled that we have our spaces in the center of town, right in the center of, of where people are, and using those spaces that God has given to us to draw and to gather uh, people within our community. We really want to grow is the second thing, numerically speaking. Of course we want to grow spiritually. Of course we're on this journey, each one of us. Uh, into greater depth of relationship with Jesus, but we want to grow numerically. I've said last week, I, I love seeing some of your faces, but to be perfectly honest with you, there's some of you that I'm just getting sick and tired of seeing your face, and I'd love to see some new faces. I know this morning there are at least two of you who I don't think I've met before, and that's wonderful, wonderful. And you may stay, and you may not, and that's absolutely fine also. Maybe there's another bus that's going a different direction and we'd encourage you to get on that bus. But if this is the bus that God's calling you to, then get on board. Get on board and stay with us and journey with us and come with us on the ride. And then thirdly, we want a place that we can call home. It is clear that God has placed that in the hearts of many of us. It's been something that we've been longing for, praying for, and it seems that God is placing uh, into our hearts and our minds for our future and to leave a legacy for our young people, for our children, a place where we can gather uh, that is our own. And to remind you that um, on April the 5th of this year, we're going to be having a gift day and we're going to invite us all to give uh, generously to that, which will be towards a building of our own at some point. So they're the three things. We said this last week, we're going to say it this week, and we want to take the next number of weeks just teaching about this. And we're going to be using the book of Acts, the first, I think it's about eight chapters of the book of Acts, to put some context into this, to frame it in terms of the early church and how that applies to us today. 
And uh, to recap last week, we actually looked at some of the Jesus' last words. We looked at the end of Luke 24, Matthew 28, and then Acts 1. These are some of Jesus' last words. And he's basically saying to his disciples, you've learnt from me, you've seen what I have done, now go tell the world, starting in Jerusalem. Go tell the world. And go make disciples. Go make others like you. See those things that I've done to you, with you, modeled with you? I want you to go and do the same. And that's the business. That's our business. That's what we're about. And uh, so what we want to do today is just pick up how did the early church actually come on the scene? And it's well known to many of us and to others it may be less known. Uh, But the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. We're going to pick it up at Acts chapter 2. In a moment, we're going to read some uh, verses. Peter preaches his first sermon. Thousands give their lives to Jesus and the church is birthed. But before we do, Acts 1. Acts 1, we we read uh, that Peter, the rest of the disciples, and Mary's mother, Mary Magdalene, and a number of others, they gather in the room together and they're praying. And they're just being obedient for one of the first times, actually. And they're doing what Jesus said for once. And they're waiting. They're waiting in Jerusalem for the promised pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Let's just hit pause before we read it. As I was preparing, I was pondering this. What must the disciples have been thinking? Jesus has told them the Holy Spirit's coming. One like me, the advocate. When I have gone, the Holy Spirit will come. What must they have been thinking? Like, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be? Is it, it, how are we going to see it? Do you know what I mean? Like, some of you, the lights are beginning to switch on. It's like, what was in their imagination? How will we know when he rocks up? Boy, they knew when the Holy Spirit came. We're going to read it here. We're at Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. There's a number of places that are mentioned there in the text. And for the sake of time, we're going to just brush over them. You can read them for yourself. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. 
listen carefully to what I say. This is the word of the Lord that was documented. Luke wrote it down so that we would read it today and that it would shape our thinking, that God would speak to us through it and bring life to us today. This is the word of the Lord. And if we were good Anglicans, we'd now be saying, thanks be to God. It's wonderful. It's enriching. It's life-giving. And here's just a few thoughts uh, from it. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on those who are present in that room, gathered together, praying, expecting, what, what, when, the Holy, what's it going to look like, the Holy Spirit? They're together as one people in one place. And what we hear is a sound like a violent wind. Those of you on Monday, wasn't that bonkers last week? Cast our memories back. My goodness me, we were down in our building number 27, and you'd think the place was going to cave in. The wind was crazy. The disciples, they hear the sound of a violent wind, and it fills, the Holy Spirit fills the house. They saw with their own eyes. Can you imagine what looked like tongues of fire just resting and separating on each of the people? And what I think is really interesting, it says, is on all the people. It wasn't like, oh, just some of the people and kind of left a few of them out, the less holy ones. Or just on the men. Or just on the women. It's on all people. The tongues of fire rested on all people. As this took place, they each began speaking in tongues. A phenomenon. A gift of the Holy Spirit, which we don't have time to teach about today. One which has caused great confusion right across the body of Christ and perhaps for another day. And if you want to hear more about that, sure, I'd love to talk to you about the gift of uh, tongues. But in this moment, what is really important to understand is the tongue, the language which was being spoken, given to them, this ability through the Holy Spirit, is the same language spoken by all of those people that were gathered in that place in Jerusalem. And that really is important. For many of us, as we read this and we begin to kind of picture it, we, we imagine in our imaginations what tongues of fire might look like. We begin to imagine the, the blowing of the wind. We're thinking, oh, that was, that's interesting, Paul. What an extraordinary phenomenon. I've never heard the Holy Spirit move like that before. I've never seen with my own eyes tongues of fire separating and resting on people. But I have been in hundreds of church services conferences on the streets one-to-one -one praying with people when I have seen the Holy Spirit come in power and empower people and that is what I want us to look at through this and what I really want to see God do with us you see when the Holy Spirit came here it comes in great power and it comes to change our very lives. Many of you will be totally au okay fait with what I'm saying, and some of you will be less so. Not long after being a, becoming a Christian, I was 16, 17 years of age, I went to a, an Anglican church um, 
which was very open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do worship like we do worship. And uh, it was in around the time of the Toronto Blessing. I'm just looking at some of your reactions as I say those two words. Because for many of us, we remember with great, wow, that wasn't that incredible. And for some of us, we might be a bit like, oh my goodness, that, those words again. If you don't know what I mean when I say the Toronto Blessing, ask someone afterwards about it. Someone older. Someone older. Ask Michael Gurner, he'll tell you. <laughs> the Toronto Blessing got a bad name for itself in many ways. In a nutshell, the Holy Spirit came in incredible power in a church. It was a vineyard church um, not far from the airport in Toronto, Canada. And God just came in just the most incredible and extraordinary way and impacted hundreds and thousands of lives. And people from all over the world flew to Toronto International Airport to come to catch the fire, to come and experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things from where I'm coming from. It was, I believe, undoubtedly the Lord. Absolutely, 100%. Many people's lives and churches and ministries across the world greatly impacted by this time and place of the, the Toronto blessing. That said, like I have said, there were some things that were handled or mishandled or not really um, spoken of or communicated that helpfully. And some people were really confused around it. And it got, in many ways, a bad name or a bad press. And uh, if you want to talk some more about that or what, what we really think, I would love to, uh, to chat with you afterwards. So please don't kind of go away thinking, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Um, it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people's lives were deeply, deeply impacted. But we can remember those days, and we can go to a conference like Legacy, like Encounter More, like Illuminate, or we can go to these different places, and we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and so greatly impacted, and it's wonderful, and it's great, and I love it. But we can miss what God's actually doing, because it's not about what we see it's not the tongues of fire. It's not the blowing of the wind. It's not the shaking, the falling down, the whatever. That is not what it's about. It's about what God is doing in us in that moment. God comes by the presence of his Holy Spirit so that he would empower us to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I remember listening to uh, Jackie Pullinger speaking at Soul Survivor a few years after the Toronto Blessing. And uh, Jackie Pullinger, for those of you who don't know, uh, is, was an incredible missionary uh, in Hong Kong. And um, 
She's very, very well known, written some incredible books and what have you, and has just seen God just do the most incredible stuff and has a real uh, authority when she speaks. And she spoke at Soul Survivor and she said, she told the story about the Toronto blessing and she had mentioned these words. She said something along the lines of, I heard that God was doing something in Toronto and, and I heard that people from all over the world were jumping on planes and they were flying across to get the Holy Spirit. And I just thought, well, God, that's interesting. That's interesting that you would do that. And I just expected, if God was really doing that, that those very people that jumped on planes and came to Toronto to get the Holy Spirit would jump on the same plane and fly to the poor, and fly to the lonely, and fly to the broken and the oppressed, because they would go and do and give away what God had done with them by catching the fire over here. But they never came. They didn't jump on those planes. They just went home to where they'd come from and just settled back to normal life again. Now, I agree and I disagree with lots of what she said in that moment, okay? We're not all called to, to actually go to the far-flung places of the world. Some of us are. But the point that she was making is important. God poured out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost that they would be witnesses. And one of the things when the Holy Spirit comes to us we're empowered by is he gives us power in your language par gives you par to be his witnesses in Carrickfergus in Ballyclare in Whitehead and Belfast and to the ends of the earth the Holy Spirit comes to empower us to give us himself, that we would be his disciple, but that we would go and be his witnesses and go and make disciples. Back to the text. Pentecost took place 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And at that time, there were Jews from the surrounding nations, which we kind of skipped over. Now, they were in Jerusalem to celebrate what's known the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks basically was a celebration. It was one of the Jewish, part of the Jewish calendar where they would have got together to celebrate what was known as kind of the first wheat harvest of the year. And it also was there to celebrate or to commemorate uh, the anniversary of the day when God gave the Torah to Moses at Mount Sinai. So you have these God-fearing Jews from the surrounding nations have all traveled together to the central place like they would have done at Passover 50 days earlier together in Jerusalem. And so they come and they speak different languages and uh, this is what it says. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. What a great word, bewilderment. Isn't that a great word? It's got nothing to do with what I have to say. Just thought I'd say that. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. God the Holy Spirit comes in such a way and gifts these individuals with the very language of the people who are present. And gets to speak it. And there's two things that I think is really significant of what happens. The first thing is this. The Spirit always leads outwards. 
So the Holy Spirit comes, but the Holy Spirit comes that leads us outwards. What does that mean? Outside the safety of the four walls. And this is something that we often talk about. We are not simply to get together on Sundays to stay together to remove ourselves from the big bad world. We come together in such a way that we're impacted by God's Holy Spirit. We encourage each other. We get together and we share our lives with one another, but that we're sent out. And the Holy Spirit comes to send us back out. What happens is the people are gathered together in a room and they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes and very soon they're led out onto the streets. So those that were gathered experiencing this, they're led straight out into the streets of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit sends us out. The second thing is the Spirit always gathers people to himself. We'll say it again. The Holy Spirit gathers people to himself. God is good. God's presence is good. And people are drawn to God because he's good. This crowd gather in bewilderment to see and to hear and to experience the presence of Jesus. We, had, uh, uh, we met with a couple um, on Friday in uh, one of our buildings, number 29 during rest and um, and the couple have come they don't know Jesus to our knowledge and they just said this place is wonderful it just feels so peaceful and it wasn't because me and Tommy and Ian did a great painting job on the place although that's part of it I have to say <laughs> it is pretty nice eh? but it was like this this place just feels wonderful We're like yeah of course it does God's presence is here. He's here. 24 hours of prayer that we had just a week ago. God's presence is there. And people are drawn to the presence of Jesus. And what happens in this text is that people come to the presence of God in bewilderment. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed. What another brilliant word. They ask one another, what does this mean? People are literally drawn. Our good friends in Coleraine started an incredible ministry called Healing on the Streets many years ago. And still every Saturday, if you're in Coleraine near what was the old town hall there, you can go and sit on a chair and someone from the church will pray for healing for you incredible this very similar model has been modeled in many many churches um, in Ireland in England and across the place incredible the Holy Spirit led outside the safety of the four walls outside to the people on the streets and in those places people come um, because they want healing they've got whatever manner of different things is wrong and they choose to sit on a chair it just still amazes me that people are willing to do that in their own communities and be seen by other people that they know and choose to sit on a chair and allow a complete stranger to them to lay hands on them and pray for them and in that place and in that moment God either will heal or, or doesn't heal and that's a whole nother sermon, and uh, we'll talk about that maybe another time. But one thing is for sure that every single time is they will and do encounter the Holy Spirit. And 
the majority of people, and I've done this, I've done this in Coleraine, and I've done it other places, healing on the streets, people come, and I've prayed for people there. They always go away, loved, cared for, um, and encountered the Holy Spirit. However, there will be some who stand and scoff and smirk and laugh and think, you lot are crackers. Those guys, they've had too much wine, as it says in the text. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Oh boy, I'd love to have been there. Wouldn't it be amazing? It's like, here's Peter. Simon, named Peter, because he's the rock. And on the rock, Jesus is going to build his church. 52 or three days earlier, he's denied Jesus. He says, I don't even know who he is. He said it three times, remember it? Not long ago, not even two months ago, that's what Peter's done. 52, three days later, he's been reinstated by Jesus in John 21. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Here he is. He stood up and he stepped into the very thing that Jesus said about him. And he addresses the crowd. All these hundreds and thousands of people on the streets of Jerusalem, boldly and courageously. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel, the good news, that Jesus had died and had risen again. Peter standing boldly and he reminds them of all the things that had happened. He skillfully quotes um, the prophet Joel and David in the rest of chapter 2. We don't have time to read it this morning. He preaches this humdinger of a sermon. It's absolutely incredible. This is Peter the fisherman who became the fisher of men. And remember what we said before, that wasn't a play on words. It was actually a term of speech in that day. Someone who was a fisher of men was someone who was known for using words skillfully and enlightening people's hearts and minds. He steps into his God-given destiny. And as a result of his first sermon, we read, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
in hearing the gospel, they're presented with a choice. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. 3,000 added. Can you imagine? Again, try and picture this. 50 days earlier, Jerusalem is in uproar. They crucified Jesus. It is the talk of the city and the surrounding area. The place has gone bonkers. And you can imagine Caiaphas, the high priest. You can imagine Pontius Pilate. You can imagine thinking, oh, thank goodness for that. Let's get back to normal. <sighs> Breathe, Jerusalem. We're back to normal. It's the old system. We're good to go. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit just comes. Wham! And the disciples are there, and they're bold. And they begin to do the very things Jesus told them to do. The city is in uproar. It's going bonkers again. 3,000. Can we imagine what 3,000 people looks like? Can you imagine the life group structure they had to put in place? Can you imagine making the teas and the coffees? Who's going to be on the welcome team? Can you imagine the church has exploded. It's come on the scene. We want to grow numerically this year and beyond. We don't, please, I said this last week, we don't want to do that for the sake of a big church. We don't want to do that to make a name. We, that's, not, that's, not, that's not it. It's about gathering people to the family. It's about empowering ourselves and going. We're as effective outside the four walls as individuals than we are together as we gather with one another. Now, folks, I think this is the point I'm trying to make. We, we work hard at trying to do a good service on a Sunday. You know, we think about the kids' spaces. Like, I'll be honest with you. I woke up early this morning, and I knew it was frosty, and I got here at 8.30, to put some salt down so that you wouldn't slip and make a claim against us. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was so that you'd come safely to our church. And, you know, we think deliberately. We plan for our life groups. We communicate them to you. We do this. We do that. We're thinking. We're strategizing. We're planning. And that's all man. And that's good. But what we really need is his power, isn't it? We just need him to breathe his presence, his life on us. And then just send us out. Just go and do what they did. That's what we need. We need his presence. We need his Holy Spirit. I'll come into land here. When Chantelle and I got married... Um, I learned a little bit of DIY. And um, Chantel bought me a Black & Decker Quattro. It's, it's a, a battery-powered power tool, and it does four things. I was trying to remember what the four were. I could only remember three of them. <laughs> it's been a while since I've got out the Black & Decker Quattro. It's in the garage somewhere. A power tool can do a darn sight more than a hand tool. You imagine a handsaw 
cutting through a piece of wood. Then you imagine a chainsaw just coming and slicing through it. And that's the difference. It's the difference between us rocking up and showing up and doing our very best, which is what we can do. And then the difference between the Holy Spirit just coming and speaking to individuals and drawing them to himself and filling us and sending us and us being obedient to his voice, those whispers that we hear often, those little nudges, go do this, go say that. That's the Holy Spirit. Wait for his power. We need to wait upon the Lord for his power as we go do his stuff together as a church. And we've got two minutes before time's up. What should we do? Ask for more power. That would be a good place. Why don't we stand? Well, let's just do that. Let's, um, let's just wait together. I'm just going to pray, just going to invite the Holy Spirit. He's already here, but sometimes when we wait, he does more. Don't ask me why. I don't really know. But we just invite you again, God, to come and empower us. We're hungry. We want you. We need you. So, Lord, just come. We wait for you now. <laughs>